Welcome to Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspron Search. Today's guest, we have Seth Spurgle, managing partner and VP of Emerging Tech at Merlin Ventures. It's no secret Merlin has invested in some of the most innovative cybersecurity startups in Israel to date and is side by side with some of the more bigger established cyber venture firms in the Israeli ecosystem. In this episode, Seth shares his journey, the influence of his infamous partner, Shia, and why you should be watching Merlin's journey further. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Joseph? I'm good, thank you, mate. I'm good. I uh, I normally ask a few friends for fun facts about guests as they're coming on, and uh, oh, I got two about you. Uh, okay. The first one, but I think segues quite nicely into to learning about who you are and your career to date, but apparently you used to work in a toy shop. Or a, a toy company. Not a toy shop, a toy company. Toy which I suppose is, is not that far off. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so uh I guess I, I I started my career at IBM and worked there for 12 years. And as you can imagine, after 12 years, you sort of need a detox from IBM. And so had started out as a software developer there on the services side, eventually made my way mistakenly over to sales and became a sales manager. And uh, after a few years of that, I realized that this was just not what I wanted to do. And I really missed the technology side of things. Yeah. And luckily, I had a former mentor, or I guess a mentor, who was a former IBM employee that I'd worked with, uh, who was over at this toy company called Think Geek. And he wanted to move on, didn't want to leave them without anybody to run their uh, engineering team. And so he called me up and he said, hey, do you want my job? And I said, yeah. Um, so I went over to, to be the VP of engineering there. So I ran software development and IT for them for... A couple of years um and played with some toys so yeah it was a fun job Holly. so it wasn't actually in a toy shop then okay cool cool that would have been a nice uh career pivot though from toy shop to, yeah. to vc so i i will say when i my move after that was to go to incutel which is the the vc for um originally created by the cia but now for the whole intelligence community and so when i got there and said well this is what i've been doing working at you know a toy company they were like that's actually not a bad background for being here right like yeah, they've yeah. They've made some some crazy investments in the past, right? Anything that's that solves a, a need for the, the government, whatever that might be. And so they've actually even worked with some toy companies in the past. Not ours, but yeah, yeah. So Incutel, let's let's talk a little bit more about those guys so specifically as a fund. What was what was their sort of thesis and who were they? Yeah. So um if you're not familiar, so Incutel was stood up in 19, I think 99 or thereabouts. Um by the CIA, and it was George Tenet at the time who was the director, and, and he came to the realization that where historically the government had funded most innovation in the in the marketplace, it had really moved out of government labs and into the startup ecosystem or the commercial ecosystem as a whole, and the government was losing access to it. The government didn't know how to work with early stage companies, didn't you know, didn't really understand, and and the the companies didn't know how to work with the government, and so the thought was, who understands how to work with startups, VCs? What if the government itself kind of sponsored the creation of a, a VC to go work with startups and help them access the, the government market and the intelligence community? And the idea was Incutel would, well, originally had a different name, and I'm sure there were a couple of different iterations. But by the time I got there in 2013, the idea was Incutel would, um, well, A, start out by talking to the government, understanding what their, their hard problems were, right? And then based on that, talk to all sorts of different startups and when we found one that had a relevant solution to one of the things that the government was trying to do, we would invest in them and help fund the development of some additional features so the government could use it. So for instance, if the government had a specialized file format, um, they, you know, we would say, we're going to invest in you. We're going to help, you know, help you get sales in the government space. 
but we need you to add support for this file format so the government can work with this funky thing they've got, yeah. right? And so now instead of paying Lockheed, you know, $10 million to go develop some one-off, the government could use this commercial solution that's been, you know, funded to add this, this relatively small change that allows them to use it as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty neat model. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to work with some amazing people, both in InQtel itself, because as you can imagine, they invest across a pretty broad spectrum of, of areas. Um, so I would work with people that had, you know, backgrounds and everything from botany to battery science and deep learning and everything in between. Uh, and then in the intelligence community, you really get to just sort of go around and say, tell me, you know, you're, you're their therapist, tell me your hard problems and we'll see what we can do to, to solve it for you. Nice. You spent almost six years there, right? Uh, about five years. Yeah. About five years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then Merlin came about. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, Kito a great job, but after about five years, it's good time. It's a, the company has been there for a while. Right. And so there it's, it's pretty well established and, and there wasn't a lot of room to, to kind of do yeah. my own thing. And, um, was starting to think about leaving and had a friend, I guess every job I've had has sort of followed this path of, of knowing somebody from IBM who, who called me to ask if I wanted to come there. That was also how I got to InQtel, but um, had a friend from IBM who was working at Merlin. And this was before Merlin, <clears throat> excuse me, Merlin Ventures existed. But there's this sister company that is now 26 years old called Merlin Cyber that she was working at. And Merlin Cyber's business model is working with typically later stage cybersecurity companies to really help them tackle the federal market. So if you think about companies like CyberArk or CrowdStrike, or Netscope, right? These are companies that that Merlin's worked with and and helps do larger, more strategic, you know, tens, even hundreds of millions of dollar type of enterprise deals for. And they there was this thought of it's great that we're working with all these established players. Could we find the next generation of startup that's going to be relevant to the government space? You know, invest in them early and then help them grow by helping bring them into the federal market. And so I started talking to David, our CEO, um, about his sort of vision for this. And after uh, a lot of back and forth, I decided to come over and give this a shot. And so I joined here in uh, late 2018. And we really kind of kicked things off, I would say, a little bit more aggressively in 2019. But when we first started out, sorry, this is a, a long story, but I think it, it sort of no, paints a picture perfect. of what we do today. Um, when I first started out, it was really just kind of me um, based in D.C. trying to do these investments. And we found a, a, you know, a couple of problems with this model of we're going to invest in a company and bring it to the government market. One, I was based in DC, um, not the hotbed of startup activity. I mean, it, it's growing, but it's certainly not Silicon Valley. It's certainly not Tel Aviv, right? And so we were investing in a lot of areas where we didn't necessarily have the reach we needed. And so by the time we heard about startups, everybody else already looked at them and decided whether or not to invest in them. Not really where you want to be as a VC. Um, and it also meant that when we did invest, we we couldn't necessarily do this level of vetting that that you should be doing on a startup, right? In terms of the background of the founders and their network and everything else. Um, the second was the model we had thought was going to be great, right? We'll invest in this company and then we'll go sell it into federal on day one, right? Like that's really hard. Yeah. And at the time we weren't set up for it, frankly, right? We've we have since built out a lot more infrastructure that allows us to, but at the time we just we weren't really set up to work with early stage companies. And so we were really struggling with this model. Um, but luckily what happened was one of, so we had done a couple investments in the US and a couple in Israel. Mm -hmm. um, and it, one of our CEOs in Israel introduced us to a pre-seed fund, actually a micro fund. It was only one and a half million dollar fund in Israel. Um, and we became an LP in that fund. And, and it was actually a really interesting fund and background of, of how it came to be. So, um, 
this is actually how I met my, my now partner, Shai, who runs our Israel uh -huh. office. But uh, Shai had been a serial entrepreneur and then following his last company had gone to work for this company called Encode that, it had, that is a product design firm in Israel. Uh, and I think he'd gotten to know Encode because they'd worked with him at one of his companies. But at, during his time there, they really became known for working with some of the best cybersecurity, now unicorns, when they were first starting out. So they helped with like the ideation and the UX and UI design for companies like Cyber Reason and Aqua and a bunch of others, right? So Shai had this amazing network of, of founders and also clearly they were, they were working with good companies at Encode. And so at some point, uh, another VC, TLV partners, Rona had, uh, had approached him and said, hey, why don't you come be a VC with us? And Shai had said, you know, I kind of want to do my own thing. And so Rona had helped him start his own fund, right? So she introduced him to some LPs and gave him his start. And that was how Today Ventures came to be. And so the idea was, you know, look at all the steel flow coming out of this Encode design firm and see where you can invest and, and grow from there. The challenge that that um, Today Ventures had was it was a really small fund in a really crowded space, right? There's a lot of VC money in Israel and with a $1.5 million and then their next iteration was $2.5 million fund, it's just hard to get heard above all that noise. But Shai had this amazing network and really knew how to navigate the ecosystem. He just It was hard to get into deals in that sort of situation. We had the opposite problem. We had come into Israel with a story that was really resonating, right? So if you think about the background of most Israeli founders, they, I mean, there's compulsory military service, right? Most of the cybersecurity companies come out of founders that were in unit 8200, like their NSA, right? Their, their, their cybersecurity group. Um, and so because of that background of working in the intelligence community around cybersecurity, the first inclination of every Israeli founder in, in the cyber ecosystem is to say, I want to go sell to the U.S. intelligence community, right? I want to go sell to the CIA. I want to go sell to the NSA. And, you know, having worked in that space for a while, my first response is no, right? Like they're not going to buy from an Israeli company. It's no offense. It's nothing personal on you. It's just that's, yeah. they, they are very sensitive to where their technology comes from. But right? Where Merlin focuses most of its efforts is really on the civilian market where our sister company does its business, right? And civilian agencies, you know, ones like Health and Human Services, right? Or Social Security Administration, they are a lot less sensitive to whether they're buying Israeli tech or, or other, you know, or American, yeah. right? They're much more interested in, is it good technology? And so there's a market you can tap, you just have to be smart about it. And so we were coming in with this market, with this uh, message, which was really resonating because a lot of the other VCs that focus on the government space focus on the intelligence community and DOD. And so they struggle to work with Israel. We were coming in saying, no, 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 we can help you with the government. We just need to be smart about it. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, so, so the message was resonating, but we didn't know how to navigate the market. So Shai and I realized we could solve each other's problems here. And so in January of 21, we partnered together uh, Merlin became the largest LP in Today Ventures, which we handed off day to day to his partners to run. Mm -hmm. And Shai came over to be our managing partner for Merlin Ventures. And so now we use Today Ventures as a feeder fund for us, right? For really early stage companies, we'll we'll do the investment out of yep. Today. As they grow and, and mature, we'll we'll invest out of Merlin Ventures. And the idea is, you know, we'll we'll invest in these early stage companies, help them grow, and then eventually bring them into um, the government market. One thing that you know, we sort of realized was a, a challenge for us was our whole story originally was we help you access the government. And, you know, as we we pitched that to startups, and I guess the other piece I didn't mention is during all this, right, this was January 21. Um, so 
you know, just valuations were going insane, right? And we also found that just it was hard to work with later stage companies that had already made a lot of decisions. We started investing earlier, so pre-seed and seed and A. Mm -hmm. And so when you invest in a seed series company and say, hey, we're going to help you with government, they say, hell no, right? Like, yes, I want that in, in two years, right? But like, I don't have time for that right now. And they're they're right, frankly, right? Like, you need to get some commercial traction first. Um, so we we ended up having to kind of re-pivot or, or rethink our strategy a little bit and pivot towards also building out an ecosystem in the U.S. of commercial um, cybersecurity expertise where we could help these companies really navigate that commercial market, get their early traction and, you know, find design partners, find customers. And then once they're at that stage where they're having that commercial success and can afford to spend the cycles thinking about how they go through the federal market, then we can hand them off to the sister company that, like I said, has now invested in building out resources to really help early stage companies come into that market as well. Yeah. Why, um, why are founders out of Israel so excited about the federal, like, agency market like how how big is yeah. that is a it's it's large right it's the largest single cybersecurity buyer in the world right. um and so and you know again i think part of it is their background right of yeah, having yeah. worked in the, the intelligence space um but part of it is also just you hear about these massive deals right of like you know oh i want to go get a 50 million dollar deal yeah i do too right but it's it's it, there's a lot of work that goes into yeah. that right but people don't always understand how long it's taken a company to get to that stage right yeah. that they probably spent the last few years seeing the market, making a lot of, you know, 50, 100K sales to build demand. And then they were able to do these larger sort of deals. Um, so, I mean, that's the, it's it's awesome when you get it, right? But you've got to have the right resources. You've got to understand the market. You've got to be able to sustain those resources, right? And and understand that this is a long haul effort, right? You're not going to get that sale on day one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you're successful at it, and that's our goal is to, you know, help these companies be there eventually. Um then it's absolutely worthwhile. Are they a lot longer, the deal cycles in, in Fed as oh, yeah. well then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky, you'll get a small pilot sale just to test out the technology, you know, in the, the first year of working with a, with an agency. But the way the government budget works, it's very hard for them to do any sort of sizable transaction that's not at least a year out because they've got a budget for you in that next budget yeah. cycle. Yeah, got it. How big was the fund, uh, Merlin Ventures, when you uh, partnered yeah. with Shai? So, um Merlin Ventures is is not a traditional fund, right? At least not right now. So, uh, you know, in, in venture capital, you've got what are called LPs, right? Who are the yep. investors in your fund. And for up until now, Merlin has just had a single LP, which is our CEO, David. So mm -hmm. all of our funding has come from David. And so we don't have a set fund size. It's more of okay. a discussion with David when we want to do an investment. Um, although we are now in the process of raising a fund with outside LPs. So hopefully, you know, in the next let's say six months or so, we'll be able to announce that. And, you know, then we will have a more traditional fund with outside LPs that that will allow us to, to write even larger checks and, and do some more interesting things going forward. Nice. In terms of some of the investments that you have made out of Israel, are you able to, to share a few of the notable ones? I know there's some interesting discussions happening yeah. at some of the portfolio companies right now, but that's quite sensitive. Yeah. I'm guessing what you're referring to are, are some of the reports recently that, uh, Palo Alto is buying half of our portfolio, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, <got> yeah. <laughs> um, there, Palo Alto is, or it's been reported in the news that Palo Alto is in talks with both Dig and Talon uh, about potential acquisitions. So, yeah. you know, believe what you want there. But um, yeah, so I mean, Dig and Talon are, are certainly both awesome companies, right? I think um, 
two extremely compelling CEOs. It's it's fun just to watch them work a room. Like we, we joke, you don't stand between between them and, and CISOs because you'll get hurt, right? But um, there's a couple others I think are, are a little bit earlier, but also really interesting. So historically we haven't led deals, but we started to lead a few. And, and the two that we've led so far, uh, one is called Tamnoon, which is yep. Hebrew for octopus. Um, and the founders are Israeli, but actually living in the US. Mm -hmm. So uh, Marina's up in the Seattle area. Seattle. And what, what Tamnoon is doing is basically kind of flipping the, the equation on the number of people you need to support CSPM and, and CNAP platforms. So if you look at these platforms like Wiz and Orca and everything else, right, they are massively powerful, but they keep growing and growing in terms of complexity. And so if you want to be successful with them, you end up needing a team of 10 people to manage your CNAP platform. And that even then, right, like it's just hard to keep up with everything. What Tamnoon has done is built out a a technology platform that lets them much more efficiently manage those the CSPM and CNAP platforms. And so instead of needing 10 people to manage one company, they can now start to flip that and manage 10 companies with one person. Got it. So it's essentially using AI and technology in a way that, that gives a person superpowers to start to do a lot more yeah. intelligent triage of things and lets companies much more cost-effectively take advantage of all the power of those platforms. So I think that's a really interesting- I'm going to you know, have Marina wrong. I'm going to have her yeah, on the show. Yeah, so he's actually. awesome, right? I mean, he's an amazing founder um, with a, a company that I think is, is in the right space, right? Like everybody we talk to says, I need that. Um, she's had a great reaction in the market. She came out of stealth with like a bunch of customers already paying, right? Which you don't see typically. Um, so so Tamnoon is certainly one. And then the other one we led is a company called Cyclops. Yep. And um, the idea there is you have a lot of different cybersecurity tools and each one knows things about your infrastructure, right? or things about your environment, let's string them all together via their APIs and then put, you know, basically put a, a, a graph behind it to show how they all relate to one another and then allow me to ask natural questions on top of it. So, I mean, that's sort of the technical view of it. What it really means is it's now a search engine for any sort of cybersecurity question in my enterprise. So if I'm doing, you know, if I want to just do asset inventory, I can say, hey, tell me all the, you know, machines that appear in this environment. That's easy enough, right? even though it may in fact have to pull from three different systems and tie that information together. But I can also start to use it for more real-time things like incident response, right? Show me the system that Joseph was logged into when this was happening and it didn't have this turned on or that turned on, right? Things that would historically have taken a few different people to pull data and then try to mesh it together and could have taken hours, if not days to pull together, I can now do it in a matter of minutes. So, you know, there's use cases like that. There's use cases like GRC, right? Pretty mm -hmm. much anything you can think of, right? In terms of data you can pull out of your your cybersecurity and, and IT systems, right? You can now get that information very easily and start to build dashboards, just ask questions and, and get to answers very quickly. So that one has gotten a lot of attention, um, some great investors behind that with us. Uh, and, you know, I think nice. we're excited to see where that one goes. Yeah, absolutely. I had Biran on the show, so definitely plug, plug that yes. episode, the CPO. Um, that was at Black Hat and obviously a very interesting category as well, cybersecurity, mess architecture. Biran is awesome. Um, he is. He's a good guy. And what what about the sort of check sizes for, for, for you at the minute then? Yeah, so so like I said, you know, right now we're, we're investing out of this uh, single LP fund, right? And, <laughs> and these numbers will go up as we raise the new fund. Right now... Um, it ranges right anywhere from half a million to 2 million or so. Nice. Um, we've done as large as 10 million, but it's, it's more of an anomaly. Um, I think once we have this new fund, they'll end up being closer to four or so, but, but right now it's, it's in that 
Yeah, I'd say one to two million range typically. Yeah, we spoke a little bit about some of the the, the portfolio companies that you've got at the moment. In terms of uh, what you look for when making investments, can you share yep. what exactly yeah. it is that? Yeah, so you know, one of the big kind of mind shifts for me coming from Incutel to Merlin has been the move. At Incutel, we would invest in technology that we viewed as government ready within six to eighteen months. At Merlin, we're, you know, in some cases, the first check into these companies, right? And we're investing in teams that have a PowerPoint if we're lucky. And so understanding how to do that really early stage seed and pre-seed investing has has taken some getting used to. Luckily, I've got a great, you know, partner in Shai who really knows how to do this stuff. Um, but I think when you're when you're investing at that stage, right, it's it's not about the technology, right? That that was my background, was was, you know, really evaluating technology of companies and seeing if it did what it said it could do. Now it's more on evaluating founders and seeing if we think they they can do what they say they can do, right? So it's really understanding, are they that killer instinct, right? Of, of I'm going to go find a customer. I'm going to understand what the problem is. I'm going to figure out how to do this. Um, it is, you know, do they have a strong enough network to be successful? It's, you know, are they willing to work with us? Are they willing to listen? And, and you know, do they have the technical chops to actually deliver what they're saying? And it's all those things together. Uh, but the, the biggest thing is like, is it a founder we think can can be successful, right? Like they they are going to figure out how to do it, whether it's their current idea or they have to pivot, they will they will make this work one way or the other. Yeah. On on that, are you a fan of co-founders over a solo founder? I am. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, it's just it's hard to have one person who does everything, right? Like even when you've got two or three founders, you almost always see the CEO out there as, you know, the CRO and, and sales rep and, and technical sales and everything else for the first year, right? And so if they also have to be the CTO and the chief product officer, right, it just, it becomes almost impossible. Yeah. Um, and I also just think it provides a nice balance, right? Like I, I work a lot better when I've got a partner I trust who I can bounce ideas off of. Sometimes I have great ideas, sometimes I have crappy ideas. I need somebody to call me out on those, right? And, and vice versa, right? So I think it works much better. You know, there are companies we've looked at where we've said this is awesome, but we need to help find some other team members to join. Not even just like a, a co-founder, right? Like sometimes it's we need to to round out the team even beyond those two people, bring in somebody else, right? It may be, you know, you've got two, you know, amazing people, one who's a great technologist, one who's a great, you know, product person, but we still need that CEO who can really lead them and, and bring the company together. Um, or in other cases, it's it's we need to to find somebody that can actually, you know, paint the vision for the product, right? Um, you know, we helped bring Biron into Cyclops because we, we saw the, the gap there and realized that he could really fill it and make that company a lot more successful. Yeah. Nice. Why should, um, founders fundraise with, with Merlin? Well, what sort of value add have you got outside of the federal piece, which is obviously massive. It is, but, but frankly, like the federal piece is probably Mm. two years down the road from a lot of these companies. Right. And so I, I started to touch on earlier this commercial network we've built out. Right. So. I guess as background here, um, we had a really, or have a close relationship with a guy named Josh Cohen. He's a, an American guy, but works for the Israeli embassy here in Washington, D.C. And Josh's job is to help Israeli companies navigate the U.S. market, right? Find partners, find, find buyers, things like that. So we had been working together for a while because we were doing the same thing, right? We were investing in Israeli companies and helping bring them into the U.S. market. And so as we saw this need developing for a network of commercial execs that had an interest in these companies, Josh also had a need for that to just make his job more successful. And so we started talking about both wanting to sort of build up this community 
And what we ended up doing was partnering and developing something we now call ISAN for the Israeli Startup Advisory Network, where we bring together CISOs and other security leaders and share with them what we're seeing coming out of the Israeli market. So, um, you know, we've got a couple hundred members in there now, and we do monthly calls with them where we're sharing not just our portfolio, but but companies we think are interesting that we've seen coming out of the market, you know, recently. And we just have a discussion with them, right? And, and discuss the good and the bad and get their opinion on them. And it was interesting when we first started out, sorry, I know this is slightly off of what your question was, but it'll all come back. Keep going, brother. Um, yeah. So when we first started out, these calls ended up being like me talking for an hour, which I guess is what this podcast is turning into as well. Um, <laughs> but where they've evolved to is, is I talk for five minutes now about what this company does, and then I shut up. And the security execs debate these companies, right? They say, oh, I've, I've looked at this other company that's in the, in the space. I think it's better. Or I think this is an amazing company. Or I love this space. You know, I don't know that I love this company, right? Like, it gives us a ton of feedback on where we should drive investment decisions, right? So even though we're not pushing our portfolio, we're getting a lot of value out of these companies or out of these executives. Yeah. Um, and for them, right, they stay on top of the new startups coming into the market. We, you know, we broker connections with them, whether or not it's a company we're invested in, right? So at the at the end of each call, we ask, you know, do you want a connection to any of these companies? And so we're able to actually build some goodwill in the ecosystem as well, because we're even for non-portfolio companies delivering connections to US execs. But we use this to really drive our investment decisions. So like I mentioned Dig um, as one of our portfolio companies. We presented Dig on one of these calls about a year ago. And we had, I think, 40 people on the call. Uh, and over a quarter of them said, I want that. Right. Wow. And so we got off the call and said, A, I think we need to invest in this company. B, we went back to Dan and said, hey, I've got, you know, a dozen people that want to talk to you. Right. Which made the investment discussion a lot easier at that point because I'm bringing customers with me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that that has has kind of unintentionally turned into one of our secret weapons. Right. It, it really helps us um, a find the right companies, but also connect companies with people in the U.S. that have an interest in helping them grow, right? And we don't do it as like, hey, go pitch this person, right? But it's it's more this pull model, like, yes, I'd like to talk to this company. And then we can go and, and ask, hey, you know, you've talked to the company now, you've gotten, you know, you've gotten, you've seen what they do. Would you be willing to, to give them some feedback on their pitch or their product market fit, right? And like become an advisor to them. And what we've seen is, frankly, a lot of the people in this network are very interested in doing it, not just to stay on top of technology, but also because they want to work more closely with startups as advisors, right? And get more plugged into the ecosystem. So it's, it's a great give and take, right? And lets us really, you know, help the, the startups we work with, right? So, I mean, I've been talking about, you know, basically a pretty broad set of companies that we, we bring to this mm -hmm. group, but obviously our own portfolio, we also leverage within this group and, and we've got, you know, a few opportunities, actually a number of opportunities where we, we plug our portfolio companies in more directly with these folks based on their interests and you know help them get their their early traction so in terms of where we differentiate and why somebody should look at merlin ventures for an investment one is that that market access right like really helping you get your early access to the u.s market and then yes as you grow access to the federal market the other piece is so we're not exclusively investing in israel right it's just that that's where we have the biggest deal flow and so that's where we focus but you know, for Israeli founders, right, as a US VC, but that has a sizable team in Israel, we can really navigate the best of both worlds. So, you know, we can operate as an Israeli VC effectively in terms of talking to them on their, you know, their own turf and navigating the network, knowing who's strong, you know, that we should invest in uh, and just giving them advice in their own time zone on a day-to-day -day basis. 
but we have the resources of a US VC that has you know a team on the ground here that understands how to navigate the US market that can talk to these security executives on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And so we can really span those two worlds and really help help them, you know, tackle the the, the entire ecosystem there. Um, and you know, we we leverage that also for non-Israeli companies, right? Like we we've got this strong network of security executives. They're looking for the best technology out there. And so as we invest in other companies, right, we'll we'll also leverage that network to to work with them and help them get their yeah. foot on the, feet on the ground. Man, Seth, we could talk for hours, mate. We won't even get into uh, Merlin Safari because that also looked great. But um, what's the future, man? Fun. Yeah, what's the what's the future for uh, for Merlin Ventures? Um, well, I mean, like I said, we've got to raise this fund, so yep. uh, that, that that's that's step one, right? And I mean, one of the reasons I'm glad we're having this discussion is I think we've done an amazing job, not to toot our own horn, but I think we've done an amazing job of building up our presence and awareness of us in the Israeli market over the last two and a half years, right? Like. I think when we started this in, in January of 21, if you had said we would be where we are today, you know, this this quickly, nobody would have believed you and we wouldn't have believed you, right? But but we managed to position ourselves as one of the top cyber VCs in Israel relatively quickly. Our challenge is in the US, I don't really think many people know us. And so that's that's kind of our goal for this year also, right? Is to raise a fund, but also build awareness in the US of if you're looking for that pathway to really strong cybersecurity and, and navigating the Israeli ecosystem in particular, we are the, the company to work with, right? And that means Israeli founders in the US, Israeli founders in Israel, right? And and also just really strong companies that have a fit for the enterprise market, work with us and we'll help navigate that. Jeff, I wish you all the best of success, man, and uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks. All right, thanks, Joseph. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please like and share with your friends and colleagues as this is really important for the show's reach. If you'd like to be our next guest or are interested in Aspron Search's staffing solutions, please get in touch directly with me or reach out to us via our website, www.aspronsearch.com.